welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. to Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT service management, IT management, just the IT community, everybody. It's even good for people not in IT. I bet we've got a couple HR folks out there. Hey, it's Chris Dancy. This is episode 30. Troy, 30. 30, can you believe it? Wow. 30. 30. That is 15 hours of Practitioner Radio. Well, sometimes it feels like 15 hours and sometimes it feels like, <laughs> yes, just a few minutes ago. <laughs> So uh, this week on the fastest 30 minutes in uh, ITSM audio, we've got uh, global processes. Uh, we're going to talk about that, but we've been inundated in different parts of the globe. You you were in Asia and uh, I was, I don't know where I was. And then we've got some actual mail. So uh, real quick, uh, for me, uh, I've, I met somebody who who is a big fan of yours, uh, Troy. His name is Russell. He works at a company called Manta. I was out speaking, and he says, uh, I listen to you guys all the time. Uh, even my family listens to you. I feel sorry for them. But a big, big hello to Russell. We're, we're home entertainment now. Can you believe it? Uh, actually, I can. I've seen, what's on te- I've seen what's on television. Come on. <laughs> uh, we're family safe. Hey, Russell. How are you doing? <laughs> and then uh, you were just in Asia, and then you got a couple pieces of fan mail while you were there. So you want to talk about those? Well, yeah. Well, one was um, about... There was a question about key performance indicators and critical success factors, and I said we could address it briefly in the next show, though that's not the topic for today. Uh, and another one was that, uh, hey, we're on iTunes, right? So one of the things you and I have forgotten to do is we keep talking about our shows and our show notes, and you know it's in the show notes, but we never tell them where it is, where, where are the show notes, because we always assume they actually get there from one of our two blogs, either your blog or my blog. Yep. And that's, of course, where the show notes are. But if you're in iTunes and you've subscribed to Practitioner Radio, we've ever we've never actually said that. No. So shame on us. No, we're in IT. We, we don't we don't communicate. So if anyone's looking for the show notes, servicefear.com or pinkelephant.com and look for the blogs, the big red button that says don't panic, that's that's my hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy blog and you can get them there. Yeah. So just, just if you want to go back, because I actually had a request I didn't mention out on air, uh, just because I actually am to the point where I get too many requests about practitioner radio. Uh, uh, all of the all the show notes are available in a couple of different places, so you can go to Vimeo, V I M E O. You can find them there if you just search for practitioner radio. If you go to SoundCloud, all the show notes are always there. Uh, and just search for Practitioner Radio. Like Troy said, servicefear.com or Pink Elephant and the blog for Troy, the show notes are there. And just recently, some people have noticed, thank you for those of you who sent me emails saying thank you, all our shows are actually transcribed. So if you can't get an episode of Practitioner Radio or you just don't have time to listen or you're just you're on a plane disconnected, you can actually read the transcriptions. So I know I post the transcription in SoundCloud and on my blog, I don't know, Troy... Uh, what's going on, but there's lots of places. So thank you for the feedback. Thank you for letting us know that not everyone knows where these things are. It's important that people know how to get to them. As far as the KPI uh, question, Troy, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep that for next week and, and try to address that because that's SLAs and KPIs. Yes, and critical success factors and how do they all work together. Let's, yeah. That might be, yeah, that's the next show. Well, there you go. So we a uh, uh, big thank you to Mark 
from Vodafone for uh, defining episode 31. So your definition of common, I, I doubt it's the same as mine. You know, this is the key thing about having a common language. And the, some people say that's the best you know, element of having a framework that we can actually have a common definition of terms. This actually became very interesting because I had a customer call and this is a global organization and, and they wanted to talk about deploying global processes. And I said, okay, that's cool. A challenge, but cool. But what do you mean by the word common? And I proceeded to give them four different definitions of what common could mean, or actually three, but there's a fourth, which you know, we, can't, we can't ignore either. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you think about common, and we're going to put some discussions or a picture about how this might be perceived in the show notes, but first of all, there's the not common, do your own thing. Everybody basically does their own process the way they want to do it. But then there's another concept that people talk about a lot, which is we're going to create this center of excellence. And what is a center of excellence? Well, think about a small group of people who get together and they collect collateral, they collect documents, templates, and they create really kind of a repository of IP, knowledge, documentation. And this might be an internal process engineering group, an ITSM group, whatever. But what the idea here is that you have this common resource pool of information. And if you're so inclined, you can go and you can use that information, use that content. So at least there's the same gene or DNA pool where various parts of the organization pulls their stuff from. Now, that doesn't guarantee you have common, but at least there's the same family background. So you can trace your ancestry back to this center of excellence. That's still uncontrolled. Does that make sense so far, Chris? Yeah. Okay. Then kind of moving up this continuum of common, you have something we might call core plus or core and additional. And I like to think of this as, okay, there's these base elements that we must all agree on, right? So we all agree that the process flow has six steps, not five um, we have a common understanding of prioritization or what a major change is versus a minor change, a common goal and target for uh, restoration under SLA. So these are common things we have to have as core. But above and beyond that, by regional variance differentiation, you can have differences. So there's core. Then the plus might be, for example, yes, we have a chosen set of key performance indicators, you know, severity or priority one incident is defined this way and our goal is restoration within SLA target within four hours, 80% of the time. Okay, that's a chosen KPI. Everyone shares that one. But you might have a half a dozen more metrics you want to record for your own purpose, personal basis. Or uh, you might decide your region is going to use one tool and another region another tool. It's possible. It's more expensive. What you've done there is determine that you're going to have these both these tools kind of configured exactly the same way, uh, but because you're using different technologies, you're going to have different procedures. So Core Plus gives you this sense of, you know, base elements are, are core and common, but I can have variants above and beyond. And then another concept of common is really common. Everything is standard. There is no deviation. Process rolls off the assembly line the the same way every single time. Everything is equal. Everything is common across the entire scope of whatever you call your process you know, organization. So one of the interesting things here is that 
you don't have to pick just one of these four levels. You really can, process by process, have four different decisions. Do your own thing, center of excellence, core plus, or standardize. So it's not just a, a statement we're going to have common and everything will be the same. That doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. Well, it certainly seems easier to manage. Well, in a sense, yes, but it's also more difficult to keep glued together because think about oh, yeah. a process across multiple continental you know, geographic regions. How do you keep that together? It's not impossible, uh, but it's definitely a lot more work. So, you know, we think about things from a value, cost, and risk perspective. So what in one organization, and this is specifically so for, let's call them engineering or architecture type processes. Mm-hmm. What's the value of having a common engineering or architecture process across the U.S., Latin America, Australasia? You know, what, what's the value? It could be you see that value, but you might decide because that's a very tailored type of outcome. I want a unique solution. You might choose to leave architecture processes at a very do-your-own-thing level. You might decide at availability capacity to leave those at a center of excellence. You give them some, some base reports, some templates for how to collect and aggregate capacity data, and you might say, okay, here's some guidance on a, let's say, I'm, I'm thinking some examples here, uh, change management concept. You know, we have to have these base core elements, but there are regional changes that might be able to be done regionally. So there's a plus, so there might be a slight variance on how you do regional or local change approvals versus changes that must go to a global change advisory board. But then if you're trying to hold together a common support organization with a follow the sun service desk, and we had that conversation a couple episodes ago, you need common prioritization, common support model, common queue system, common tool, because you're literally gluing together this organization as one contiguous support organization. So then those four examples, you've made a choice based on value, cost, and risk of having various levels of common. And we have a diagram that we'll, we'll put right in the show notes uh, in line so people can see this uh, when it comes to these four types of process standardization. Uh, you took apart, uh, you know, at a very fine level, because in my head I'm, I'm, I'm listening and, and picturing it, you know, well, one level, uh, you know, a center of excellence level for support, uh, change release, having a, a core plus. And I think I, I can really get my hands around the idea of regardless of where we are on the globe, our KPIs around our support are, are almost assembly line-like driven. Because, it, you know, excellence and, and, and repeatable process, I would think, I don't I'm I'm stretching, Troy. This is where practitioner radio gets dangerous. Will probably be most important at the customer-facing side, right? So the repeatable McDonald's experience. In fact, that's a good way to look at it. And you think about it, there's really only three customer-facing processes with an ITSM context. There is the service desk and support aspect, which is what you just talked about. There's a request provisioning side of it, you know, front-ended by catalog or the service desk. And then there's strategic intake or demand intake, where you're looking for new customer requirements, you're understanding new markets, new technical advances you can take a capability, take advantage of. Or as we call it, BYOD. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way to go, yeah. <laughs> so, you, you know, those are three customer-facing, and you might want to standardize those. But a lot of the processes on the back end, especially 
when we get to like more of the design and strategy process. Yeah. Those could be, those could have variances depending on truly your enterprise governance strategy or if you have one. Very few organizations actually have an enterprise strategy. They might have an enterprise infrastructure strategy across the globe, but that doesn't mean they have an enterprise application strategy, right? And that's a, that's a variance there as well. So this concept of common actually has to kind of be looked at in varying levels. And it's, it's not, I think, accurate or even logical to assume everything across that span of control can be, you know, assembly line like standardized. It doesn't make sense from a value, cost, or risk perspective. Mm. Some things do. I mean, literally some things, the risk of not having a standard approach, especially when you're in a shared services organization and you're trying to uh, you know, support a common customer across that organization – You've got to have it all glued together. And that's not just the internal organization, but if you're, and you probably are, going to be integrating suppliers, right, Mm. in various Mm. regions, each of those suppliers must now integrate into your common management system and frame of reference. They can't have their own basis for severity or priority definition. They have to share yours. Because when you bring in family members into your value system, they literally have to adopt your family morals, values, and 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 uh, ideals to become a family member. No, and we we talked at great length about the importance of uh, suppliers and making them part of your family. And, and I, I will put a link because that was a really good show. I wish we had that one transcribed. I guess it's not too late. I find it interesting when you mentioned that you know a global infrastructure standardization seems to almost be commonplace some this in some folks you know because they do they look at their infrastructure whether it's you know completely you know internal to buildings or or data centers they own or they work with a supplier but either way they've thought very carefully about the approach to the infrastructure what's involved with the infrastructure and i think part of that's because people just have this illusion that the widgets the hardware the the, the the comms that make the connect all the hardware are somehow ease more easily controlled. I, I don't know, but when you said that, it really made me think that why is it? Because you know we always do have an you know infrastructure team that, but we don't really ever look at these other teams and and how they integrate and do they ever sit down and talk about common? Well, actually, one thing is important to understand that is it easier to standardize the non-human element. Right, so we we know what it means to do data center consolidation, desktop image standardization. No, until the machines talk back. Yeah, enterprise application <laughs> standardization, and more and more of our applications are becoming standardized. You know what was kind of custom. You know, if, if you had a collaboration or a CRM tool, now we're all using the same one. So there's, there's fewer and fewer applications which are actually unique to each business unit and or each region. So there's this growth towards standardization, which is actually being fueled by cloud, mm. you know, because that's a key note there. Standardization is key. But let's, let's take that apart for a minute about standardization and cloud, because I'm also witnessing, watching a lot of, you know, the news around cloud. There are people, you know, I know this guy, and you might be aware of Matt Barron. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was talking to me on the phone the other day, and he develops on the ServiceNow platform, and... He needed something, so he just wrote an application on the platform and just started using it. And then when his boss said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I wrote something and I started using it. So while the, the infrastructure, the platform itself was common, 
he was taking pieces and creating new things that really didn't fit in any of the process. And <laughs> thus we begin to have deviation again, right? Here's something, it's, we're kind of taking a side note, but this is very interesting. I was talking to Ray Garrett, one of my coworkers. Love Ray, by the way. Yeah. She, oh, yes, that's right. You're in the same city. Yep. And uh, she and I were talking about the kind of the difference between the new ITSM tool philosophy and the previous kind of post-generation. And before, you had a tool which would have a process, and that process was fairly rigidly designed into the tool. Hmm. Uh, so there was a lot of guidance the tool would force you into doing unless you chose to break the back of the tool and make it do whatever you did before. It took hard. It was hard, hmm. though, to do that. You had to make some pretty willful decisions to do it. The new generation of tool, and these are her words, not mine, this is a quote of Ray, have no guardrails, mm. right? They have, you know, you're, you're bowling and there's, no, there's nothing in the, in the gutter yep. to keep the ball between the, you know, the gutter. If you, there's, a, there's a path, yeah, but there's no guardrails. It, it'll let you do anything you choose to. It was actually easier in the new generation of platform as a service type product to actually go anywhere you want to. And this is where you do need to have the process and the human controls to make sure that people don't, when it's not required or not the ideal thing, take off on their own path. Sometimes it is you know, fine to do your own thing. Sometimes it's not. Are you familiar with the term entropy? Entropy, yes. Any human system, unless you continue to add energy to it, will eventually fail. Yeah. So I was watching uh, a special on television about uh, how it was on string theory. So there... Ah, Laugh at me now. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 they were talking about entropy and, and, and this idea of the arrow of time and how the, the one of the ways that we can measure time is the fact that things go from a, a state of uh, consistency to a state of inconsistency. You know, we, we can't measure, we measure or we, we perceive forward movement because we see things change. It unravels, yes. And and, and ultimately they end up in... in my my words, not the television shows. A hot mess, right? And it's funny because you know there's so when you know we're talking about common processes and, and your four levels here, whether they be standard or core plus, center of excellence, or do your own thing. And in some ways, you know, tools have always gotten kind of this, you know, oh, this tool's better, you know, it's, it's newer, it's shiny, everything else, because it doesn't have the hangups of these other tools. They just end up developing a different set of hangups. In this case, yes, we have the ability to go to go much wider in our variance. Yeah, but you know what? Nothing is ever static, and that's a key point you made, right? If you don't put things into CSI, where you're increasingly adding new energy and new direction and improvement, every process will basically die in the vine. Yep. Right. You have to put it in the context of a continual service improvement or quality system approach. Because unless you do it, it doesn't remain relevant. It becomes static. It becomes old. It becomes useless, and it dies. The entropy kills it. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 it was you know even though it was you know theoretical physics, you know I'm sitting there watching it, thinking of practitioner radio, which is probably pretty crazy in itself. Uh, <laughs> you made me think of Big Bang Theory. <laughs> oh, Sheldon, gosh, I, Sheldon, my my friend. We we, we just had. Uh, a guy named John Willison talking about DevOps, and he mentioned Toyota and and their their processes. And, and he made a really interesting comment, and, and, and I wanted to share it with you. And when they were interviewing, I, I can't pronounce the gentleman's name, but one of the chairmen of Toyota, and they were allowing Americans to come in and see how they ran their plants and things. He says, you know, they can copy our processes all they want. They can't copy our culture. And discipline. And culture has a big deal about, big deal to do with whether people want common or not. 
Do you know it's not American to be common? It's not. Say that one more time. It's not American to be common or the same as. I think you're messing with my head because I'm American. What does that mean? <laughs> it could be more of a Western cultural thing. Now you're Canadian. For people, for people who don't know, Troy's Canadian, which is what Americans pretend to be when they leave the country. What does that mean? Well, I actually am. I am dual, actually. So I have. Oh, are you? Yes, I am. But the reality is, there's a persona in the U.S. which values uniqueness above commonality. We want we don't want to be one of a of a larger family context. We prefer to be um, unique. In fact, it's almost non-American to basically be standard, hmm. because there's this concept of kind of wild west, unique, on the cutting edge, entrepreneur, innovator. And you're saying culturally in other parts of the world, that's for lack of a better word, heresy. I mean, well, let's absolutely. Um, so the rights of the individual outweigh the rights of the many. In the U.S., this is counter to the, the Spock conversation we've had before. Mm, yeah. But if you're in India, the rights of the many outweigh the rights of the few, right? So when you're, and this is you know the classic arranged marriage, going to be arranged to be married to somebody, it's a family decision. Both families interview each other, and the families decide whether the match is good. That would never fly in the U.S. because the rights of the individual outweigh the rights of the many. In the U.S., the rights of the individual outweigh the rights, and this is probably a little true of Western culture in general. So there's this view of my rights are, are greater than the family culture I belong to. So there's this, this move to the individualism always, to the I want to be different and unique stand out. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, I'm, I, could, I couldn't get any more American, except maybe if my BMI was maybe five points higher, closer to 91, I'd be probably more American. But I... <laughs> so ask yourself, does it appeal to you to basically follow the same path as other people? So it comes back to our our, our, our show about uh, process standardization. You know, it's great. We've got these four levels of process standardization that we can apply to our different you know, uh, systems, whether it be support or request management, change, et cetera. But do we design or, or do we, you know, you talked about continual source and management, service improvement, you know, at what point do we introduce a cultural aspect to these? And, and are these influenced by culture or is culture, or do we not even let that enter. I mean, the process is the process. Obviously, do your own thing. Well, there is definitely a cultural implication because working on a global basis, I've seen it many times. I've had the honor to be part of five different global initiatives. So one was a a major goods manufacturer, which was based out of the UK. They had a major US operation. Well, wouldn't you believe the friction between the two? Because the US would reject anything coming from the UK. It was a a tea party (laughs) all over again, every single time any conversation happened. How familiar. (laughs) <laughs> right. Another major initiative was started in the U.S. and had a European, specifically U.K. side of it. And there was this belief that nothing good can come out of the colonies. So it's like <laughs> that was a major issue. Um, in Asia, you know, and especially in the Indian culture, you, you know, you can provide that, that rights of the many take precedent over the rights of the few. So there's not a major issue for compliance there. Right. Uh, in Latin America, because they're never rushed to do anything, they'll certainly say yes, they agree. But it's always manana. In fact, manana tomorrow never comes. So absolutely, culture has a major implication on acceptance of common. Uh, there's a much higher willingness to accept common in a Germanic cult- culture than the U.S., for example. Because I would think in, you know, in a design and build project, 
if if you're really focusing on being agile and and, and scrummy and, and trying to get something done, the idea of you know do your own thing might make a lot of sense unless you're in a culture where they don't want to do their own thing because it doesn't feel natural or it's too much risk or the cost of variance is too unwieldy hmm. right because do your own thing comes with two outcomes it has uh, well, three outcomes it has a high tailored outcome highly mm-hmm. tailored outcome and that's that's a positive for some people. Oh, yeah. I get a unique experience every time I come to this thing. A snowflake. But it also yeah. means you have a high variance of activity because every place you do this, you'll find it done differently. And because you have high variance from a Six Sigma perspective, you're going to have high risk and high cost. Hmm. The more times you duplicate something, the willingness you have to live with for high variance, high cost, high risk. So you have to balance the value of uniqueness against the variance cost risk component. What our challenge is in our IT culture is that we're more on the do it your own way kind of concept. Almost everything is in that category. So we have multiple change processes, multiple ticketing processes, multiple in- inventory processes, and we, we we duplicate and make redundancy almost a way of life, which has a high cost, high variance, high risk. So there's some balance. We have to kind of swing the needle back in some areas. This also applies to services, by the way, right? Because you have a common hosting service, but you might have a a very unique desktop service in different regions. Yeah, and a lot of services that I, you know, from from a technology standpoint, subscribe to offer me, you know, in in the process of signing up for them, you know, wildly different options that I'm willing to pay for. Which you know is one of these kind of panaceas that we dream of when it comes to IT. You know, you know having the ability to say, well, I, I you know, I demand twenty four by seven, even though the rest of the company doesn't have it. Uh, Choi, when you were talking about this, I, I saw I, I kind of pictured you almost as a human cultural process Geiger counter. Do you do you ever like listen to people and go, okay, high variance, high cost, and just like so that's that's what you're thinking, and and then you listen to someone and go, okay, you know, standard and good, low cost and repeatability and, and consistency, and I mean, is that is that the way you think? I mean, you you think in a way that I would love to learn how to think. Well, you've got to know the game you're in to win the game, right? So mm-hmm. you've got to understand what are the expectations and the rules. So yeah, I mean, I help people understand what their decisions mean. That's primarily what I do. Mm. So, you know, this wonderful thing of uniqueness is great, but you understand there's a, there's a cause and effect here. You can have uniqueness, but this is what it means. High cost, high variance, high risk. And if the value of that outweighs the other three, wonderful. You know, stay the way you are. There's no reason to change. But if you can't tolerate those three and you look at it from those perspectives, you've got to make some changes. You get to come up this continuum somehow. But I was trying to interrupt you earlier because you made me think of a non-IT context. You're the one usually bringing these to my head. But this mm. this is a great kind of example of the core plus. McDonald's, global McDonald's is core plus. Oh, yeah. Why do you think I say that? Oh, completely. Because I can get my core food items, whether I'm in Brazil, France, or 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 Hong Kong. But what's really interesting is if you go to McDonald's and those places, they'll always have the plus which is the Big Mac, but with a fish on top. Yes. Big Mac with anchovies. Hmm, yum. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, they just have sandwiches. And I'm like, oh, I wish we had that in America. But they always have my core stuff. So I, it's because I feel safe. I, you know, You know, I, we've talked about me. And when I was in Germany, you know, just recently, I was, first thing I did was look for the McDonald's. Right? I, I had to have something that made me feel safe. And it was, to be honest, it was French fries. Yeah. So they have optimized this concept of core plus, right? Mm. 
as opposed to, you know, you know, that gives you the variance, that kind of balance between standardized, which gives me better efficiencies, better better costs, but also better margins because I can I can buy in volume, I can do things in, in a common way in bulk and, and build supplier models that allow me to optimize that. But I also add that variance as I as I need it. I mean that's a that's a that's a really good example, Troy. You'll have to put that on a slide deck. Uh uh, because you know McDonald's Global is core plus. I mean that, that is like the most perfect example. And, and maybe you know our listeners when they're thinking about their uh, process uh, standardizations and, and how they look globally, maybe can look to borrow those concepts. I mean it definitely addresses the cultural issues we were talking about. Well, people want to feel like they have some basis of uniqueness, right? That's that's a core human trait. That's that. I want to be unique. I don't want. I want to stand out. I don't want to be one of a crowd. Right. But can you find some middle ground where there's core, and that allows me then above and beyond core, have the unique variance versus it's all just do it your own way everywhere because I can't bring anyone to agree that we should have common. Well, one one place where core plus, I, I was just in the Midwest, and and they have Tim Hortons there now. So you people have successfully oh, no. like <laughs> driven your your scourge through the border. Uh, <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Tim Hortons is a, a coffee. Well, how do you de- how do you describe Tim Hortons to someone not from Canada? It's Canadian culture. <laughs> yeah, it's Canadian <laughs> culture. Like, uh, yeah, literally. But uh, I was sitting there and I went through the the drive through and it was it was like all the same stuff you had in Canada. I'm like, make it a little American. Offer me a donut with triple glaze or something, you know. But no, that's standardized. Yes, and you know what? That's a good example. Of standardized, but so is. Uh other coffee places, right? Starbucks doesn't vary no matter where you go. It's the same no, thing. that Starbucks is standardized. And they have the business model that allows them to do that, and they optimize their profit and their margins because of it. All right, center of excellence, uh, core plus, standard, or do your own thing. I'm going to do my own thing and say that it's time for Troy's Thunderbolts! Okay, Chris, remember that a common process can be defined at many different levels of commonality. It's important to take a decision or make a decision based on the value, cost, and risk of just what has to be standardized and what can be core plus. Don't assume everything has to be universally the same level of consistency. Nice. Consistently quality, good stuff. Thank you, Troy Dumoulin. I'll see you in two weeks. Take care, Chris. Bye-bye.